Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. It is the penultimate blind side for 2016. That's just a fancy way of saying second to last. We're taking about a month and a bit off over the Christmas summer break here in New Zealand. So this is the second to last one and it's good to be here. Speaking of Christmas, how's the shopping going? It's going slowly here but i think we're getting there it's very hard to know what to get for the kids these days there's nothing really that they need but i think we have pretty much pinpoint gifts that we're going to be giving them this year so that's exciting my christmas dream is my sonus in the bathroom now if you listen to the mosin explosion radio show on mushroom fm on a sunday afternoon at two you will know that we have invested heavily in Sonos over the last year or so. In fact, this time last year, we didn't have a Sonos in the house. Now we've got Sonos everywhere except in the bathroom. And when I say bathroom, I mean bathroom in the New Zealand sense of the word, a bathroom with an actual bath in it. And I thought it would be rather nice and soothing to have a little Sonos Play one, which is humidity resistant. So you could put it up away from the water, high up somewhere, and... uh, but build your own little spa, you know. You could have your own little essential oil going on, some nice soothing music. It could be very good for me, I feel. But Bonnie says it's excessive. Bonnie will not let me have the Sonos in the bathroom. I hope that she will petition her on my behalf at this critical juncture because Christmas is coming up. Please petition Bonnie on my behalf. I think I deserve the Sonos in the bathroom. But anyway, I guess time will tell. Now, while we're talking about Christmas, I do have something important to tell you. And that is that Mushroom FM is once again doing a tradition. It's become a tradition at this time of year that we really enjoy. And that is that we ask all of our listeners, and you if you're not one, I mean, it's never too late to become a Mushroom FM listener. We're asking you to vote for your top 10 holiday songs As of now, I mean, they may be a different top 10 from the ones you voted for this time last year if you voted because people's tastes change, that sort of stuff. And then what we do is we hold a Mushroom FM Christmas party. This year, it's taking place on Sunday, the 18th of December from 9am until 7pm. So it's a 10-hour Christmas party extravaganza. When you vote, you get the chance to give us your Twitter name, and your email address, all that kind of stuff. And we publish a seating chart because everybody who votes gets a virtual seat at our Christmas tables. And you learn when we publish this chart who's on the same Christmas table as you. And if you get involved in a bit of social media banter during the playing of the top 100 holiday songs as voted for by listeners, well, you may earn some Christmas crackers for your Christmas table. Now, I'm aware that Christmas crackers are not something that are common everywhere in the world. They're big here, they're big in the UK, they're not edible. When I talk about Christmas crackers to Americans, a lot of people think that they're something that you eat. They're not. They are these sort of sausage-shaped things that you have at your place normally at Christmas time, on, on Christmas Day, and you pull them. They're kind of all wrapped up. You pull them and they go bang, and you unwrap them, and there are silly little gifts and jokes inside the Christmas crackers. It's a fun little Christmas tradition. And so you are awarded Christmas crackers for any clever, fun, 
thing that you might say on social media, on Twitter, using the Mushroom FM hashtag during our Christmas party. You don't have to participate in that. You're welcome to just sit and listen to the top 100 songs as voted for by Mushroom FM listeners, but we'd love to get your top 10. We've made it really easy. If you think that you can't think of 10 holiday songs to vote for, well, each choice numbered 10 through 1 on the voting form has an edit box where you can type in your favourite song or there's a combo box where you can select from a very large list of songs that people have voted for in the past. Isn't that genius? All you have to do to cast your vote, and why not do it now before things get too hectic, I know how it is at this time of year, is head on over to mushroomfm.com slash countdown2016. That's mushroomfm.com slash countdown2016 and do join us from 9am until 7pm Eastern US time, that's 2pm to midnight UK, on Sunday the 18th of December. We are going to have so much fun and we're really looking forward to everybody casting a vote. Feel the need to sound off? Share your thoughts about this week's show by email. Send an audio file or write it down and email theblindside at mosin.org. Last week, we were talking about guide dog discrimination and wondering whether you'd had any experience with that. And we got a bit of response. I do want to read this one from Kathy Blackburn in Austin, Texas. Kathy says, I just listened to the section of the blind side regarding discrimination against guide dog handlers. Our most recent experience was a couple of weeks ago when a driver with an Austin non-profit ride hailing company refused to pick us up because he didn't want a dog in his Lexus. We were able to request another ride, and the driver who accepted the trip couldn't have been nicer. I did write to the company about the refusal. They apologised and refunded the cost of the trip. That wasn't really what I was looking for. We had a denial of service by an Uber driver when they were still allowed to operate here. So is Uber not allowed to operate in Austin anymore? That's an interesting thing. I wrote to technical support about it, but I'm not sure whether that driver faced any consequences. I did not request another Uber trip in that case. I decided Yellow Cab could have my business that day. In the past, we have had two denials of service by drivers working for Yellow Cab that we took to court. The first one got off with a $10 fine. That is pretty like a slip over the wrist with a wet bus ticket, isn't it? I don't think we were ever called to appear at the other one. There have been several other incidents that we consider suspicious. We were scheduled to appear as witnesses for a friend who was refused a ride because of her dog and Yellow Cab settled just before trial. I think the problem has existed for quite some time, says Cathy, but we only heard about local occurrences before the arrival of email lists and social media. Thanks for the excellent podcast, she says. Good luck with the new computer. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Cathy. That's a great message. Hi, Jonathan. It's Graham Innes here. Thanks for your podcasts, which I enjoy, and for the opportunity to participate in them and, uh, and for your reference to me. I'm sitting on the terrace of my hotel in Melbourne in Australia. I live in Sydney, but I'm here in Melbourne, so you may hear the odd tram go past. And I was interested in your program about guide dogs. I uh, have had, not I wouldn't say that uh, discrimination against guide dogs in Australia is rampant, but it certainly occurs. And I've had a number of experiences, both with 
taxis and Uber drivers. And the, the big difference uh, that I found between taxi drivers and Uber is the way in which the complaints are resolved. And Uber have been very proactive in my experience. I was refused uh, two rides with Uber on the same night when I was going to visit my daughter in hospital and uh, because of my guide dog. And whereas I have lodged complaints... I'm sorry, there goes a tram. Whereas I have lodged complaints uh, and taxi companies have taken six to 12 months to resolve the complaint, Uber sorted it out in a couple of weeks and uh, drivers were cautioned and warned uh, and there were some very extensive training programs introduced for Uber in New South Wales drivers uh, to um, make them far more aware of the uh, what they needed to do with regard to carrying guide dogs. So I, I congratulate Uber in that regard. And I also just like to comment that I very much agree with your comment towards the, inter the end of the conversation with Bonnie, that it's really important that we don't let business owners or taxi drivers or Uber drivers profile us. So make decisions about what we might do based on the behaviour of another handler of a service animal. And that is like racial profiling and it's completely unacceptable. And I think it's important in a, uh, a calm and considered way to explain to people that Yes, that behaviour may have occurred, and I don't doubt that that happened, but my animal is well under control and well trained, and it's allowed in your business. Thanks for your podcast. I look forward to enjoying them in the future. Thank you, Graham. Gosh, you've got a lot of atmosphere going on there, and thanks for being an early guest on The Blind Side. We certainly appreciate that. Hope you and the family have a great Christmas. And I, too, have found that Uber have been very responsive. I think you're likely to get some issues with any service that you interact with. Some of them will be disability-related and some of them won't. Nothing will go smoothly 100% of the time. But the big thing is, how does a company deal with any kind of issue when the issue arises? And so far, I have found Uber to be extremely responsive. It's been encouraging, and maybe they haven't always been that way, and that consumer organisations have had to do their thing to make the point that it is important. But they do sure seem to be onto it now and I'm encouraged by that and we're still interested in any further thoughts on guide dog discrimination that you'd like to share with us the email address is theblindside at mosin.org that's theblindside at mosin.org It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side we have a new book in the Mosin Consulting Store. I'm very excited about telling you about this and introducing its author. And this has all come about because as Bonnie and I were releasing more titles, we got more sophisticated with the Mosin Consulting Store. We now have a fully automated e-commerce platform. The shopping cart is really accessible. It's easy to do. And that took some doing. And so we sat down and we thought, well, there may be a number of people who have – everybody's got a book inside them, people say – we thought there may be people who want to write a book and don't necessarily want to be bothered with all of the jiggery-pokery of getting it all up and running so that they can sell the book. 
So we thought that we would open up the Mosin Consulting publishing platform to third-party authors, and that's been a great experience. And someone who's come on board with us is Jackie Brown from the UK, who we have talked to on the blind side before in her capacity with BCAB. But Jackie is back now to have a little chat about herself and also this new book called Braille on Display, which is a great read. So welcome, Jackie. It's great to have you back on the blind side. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be back. I was thinking about the first time I met you earlier in preparing for this interview, and it was when you were working for Sight and Sound. So you have had a bit of business uh, retailing, I guess, selling, supporting Braille technology, but that was fun getting to know you, and it's hard to believe that it was eight years ago. Yes. uh, You and I went to dinner one evening um, during the Sight Village in Birmingham uh, conference in 2008. And the rest of our party decided they were going off for a curry. So you and I stayed at the hotel and we had a really civilised dinner. And um, it was it was lovely. We talked about ABBA and at the time Mamma Mia was um, in in the movies. And uh, yeah, we, we had a really nice time talking about our family and music and, of course, technology, because you and I are both technology lovers. And, and it was it was fantastic. It was fun. I do distinctly remember how much of a fan of ABBA you were. And it, it makes <laughs> me sad, you know, because as we record those, or as I recorded in New Zealand, you guys are just so far behind. But here in New Zealand, is it's already the 8th of December which is a really tough day for me because it's the anniversary of uh, John Lennon's death and that's, that was a really rough day and I remember it so vividly. And, you know, the Beatles kept talking about, you know, we'll probably do something together at some point one day and, of course, uh, then John Lennon was taken from us so cruelly and it just makes me sad in some ways that you've got four healthy members of ABBA and people would be so delighted to see them get back together and I think I would do almost anything to get to an ABBA reunion concert. Absolutely. So would I. I would join you then because, yeah, I would. I've I've actually seen ABBA live. I went to the 1979 Wembley Arena concert with my mum. I was 17, and I was mad about ABBA. And um, yeah, I would love to see. It won't happen, I don't think. But you know, I I just would love it. I understand they were in the one place quite recently and did a little impromptu performance, which is the first time that that has happened since they uh, split. Yeah, I think one of the difficulties is that Agneta, um has lost all her English uh, speaking now. She she just speaks in Swedish. And remember, they were so good with the English, um, you know, when they were singing. And uh, it's a shame, but she's she's quite reclusive. And I think she's the, the member that doesn't want to travel, that just couldn't couldn't face a reunion of any any description, which is which is a shame. Well, you know that last album she did not so long ago, that was a phenomenal album. That really did sound have some sort of aberesque qualities about it in some of the tracks on that album. It did. It, it was just called A. And uh, I just loved it. Of course, I had to buy it straight away, and uh, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was great. The, the, the One Who Loves You Now, I think, is a particularly amazing track. It really sounds like ABBA might have sounded um, then. So, But anyway, we could, we could waffle on about ABBA forever, but yeah. We <laughs> <could>. <laughs> so you haven't made a career, like a profession, out of supporting Braille or working in the assistive technology industry, right? That sight and sound gig was kind of a, a one-off for you. Yeah, it, um, before that, my 
my background was admin. I did audio typing and PA type work. So I obviously learnt to type, touch type very early on, but I have always used Braille. I've been using Braille now. I learnt Braille uh, started at the age of four and I've, I've sort of used it for, for 50 years. And I, I just I just love it. I, I would always be a, a real Braille fan. Why is that, though? I mean, I, we, we had somebody on talking about Braille from the uh, the perspective of the International Council on English Braille a while ago. And we did get a contribution from somebody who says, look, they have gone through life perfectly fine without Braille and that uh, there's sort of an elitism about Braille, sort of people who know it seem to think that they're superior and that really you can get by perfectly fine these days without Braille in today's technological age. I'm sure you can and and if you do then that's it's it's very subjective I guess but I I've always used it and I I've always loved it it's my my first language if you like um when I'm composing something I'm writing something um I I, I type obviously I use Microsoft Word but I love to have my braille display at hand for proofreading um I just you know if I'm if I'm on the phone to somebody and I want to take a number down, um, it's it's very easy when you have a Braille display in front of you to read the number back to the person to make sure you've got their number correct or their details. It, I, there are just so many instances where Braille is is at the forefront for me. And, and it just seemed, I thought, well, there are so many Braille devices out there now. It's, it's you know, there's not just one or two to choose from. There are so many. And it was surprising when I was doing the research how just how many Braille displays and, and note takers there are now. And I just figured this would be just something, this would be great to see it all in one place. And I, I looked around and I didn't think anybody else had done something quite like it. And when I saw your announcement of for looking for, you know, authors and I thought, well, this, uh, you know, I'll just drop you a line and see what you think. And we'll talk more about the book soon because it's a great read and I enjoyed working with it very much. It just occurs to me, though, in terms of Braille, people say to me, has technology made Braille obsolete? And my answer to that has always been technology will make Braille obsolete on the day that audio makes print obsolete for sighted people. Yeah, that's that's true. I kind of feel the, the same way, really. Um, th- there are always people wanting, if you like, to to put it down and say, "Oh, well, you know, it's it, it's it's a bygone era. Um, it's it's not relevant anymore. It doesn't have a place. It's too expensive. You know, braille displays and technology is too expensive. Uh, children are all using their phones and speech and stuff like that. So we don't need braille anymore. Um, well, they're entitled to their opinion, but I I totally disagree with that. I think it is so important in the workplace, in the classroom, uh, spelling, grammar. You know, literacy skills are are, are very important as, as children are going through school, and and I think if you if you have the ability to learn it and stick with it, then I I think it can only be a, a plus. What kind of education did you receive? Were you going to a school for the blind? Yes, 
yes, I went to um, a specialist school, if you like, until I was 16. And then I went on to a further education college for blind and visually impaired people. And then I'd had enough. I went home one day during the holiday and I said to my mum, I've had enough. I want to I want to leave. I was 17 at the time. And she said, well, the only condition you can leave is if you get a job. And I said, right, you're on. So, you know, I just left and I was lucky. I just sort of went, I tried my hardest and I and I got a job. What were you doing? I was an audio typist. Mm. I worked for the Inland Revenue, um, which is now HMRC in the UK. And um, I, I did that for a while. And, and then I, I did, you know, so I went on to another job after that doing, uh, working as a conveyancing uh, clerical person for, um, you know, a conveyancing office. Um, and that, that was you know, really good as well, good experience. And and then I worked in social work for a while as, as a clerical PA and took minutes. And this was really, at that time, the birth of the BBC Micro and, and when I first met my first, uh, you know, speech synthesizer and, and all the things that went with learning, you know, what it was like to type and read your stuff back to you. It was, it was fantastic. And, you know, this was... That was really quite groundbreaking for me. So you were getting the BBC microcomputer to talk? Yeah, I I, I began with that with a, a program. Um, I was using WordWise Plus and there was a speech program that was written for it that could so I could I could read back what I was writing. And uh, from there I went on to the Eureka A4, which was a note taker. That had an interesting dots. speech synthesizer, didn't it? <laughs> it certainly did. It was so a female speech synthesizer too, and that was quite rare in those days. Yeah, um, she was Australian. Yes, note taker. I still, still telephone directory. Right. It was very strange. <laughs> <She> and <laughs> that alarm, man, that was really yeah. aggressive. The, the longer you left the alarm, it got very, very angry if you left it long enough. It did, especially when you were, you know, when you set it to wake you up in the morning, you just wouldn't dare really. Um, but she had, she had a lot of uh, sort of quirky features, and and she was great. I've actually still got one. It actually really, still works in working yeah. order. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I tell you what was good about the Eureka, especially for musicians, was that pretty impressive music composer. There really was nothing like it then. That's right. Uh, it was, as I say, that she had quite a few good features that, you know, you just wouldn't see around today. I mean, she was pre-DOS, CPM, I think it was. Yes, it was CPM. Uh, and, and you could run the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Adventure game on that one. I remember yeah. people doing that, running it on CPM. Yeah. So did you have one? No, I never had one. We be, Being in New Zealand, we were very much in the keynote camp, you know, in the Pulse Data camp. Oh, yes. And so I was a tester for that uh, at a very early age and things. But we did see them, you know, we because Robotron were from Australia, so they'd cross the ditch sometimes and show it to us. Uh, I did use a Versa Braille even before the Eureka came out. There was a Versa Braille, and, and I did yeah. use that. And I didn't – I wasn't a fan of the keyboards on the Eureka. I thought it was a little bit sort of spongy to Braille on. Yeah, it was a rubber membrane, yeah. and the trouble was that she misfired quite a lot. Um, so that you know that that often happened, and and it could be quite frustrating. But um, then I went on to to DOS. I I uh, then used the Apollo synthesizer and and went on to DOS with Hal Dolphins Hal, um, and that was really really good with WordPerfect 5.1. And, and then after that, I went on to Windows 
3.1, 95, 98, and so on. <laughs> so you obviously like using the technology. For you, it's more than about using the technology as a tool. I think it's fair to say you're quite an enthusiast for the technology. I am, yeah. I love I love sort of gadgets and just anything that's going to make life that little bit easier in whatever way. I really enjoy using it. I embrace it. You know, if there's something new, um, it can be frustrating, as you know yourself. Um, but I just love, I love being involved in it. I love um, using it. I, I like to learn things. I like to write about it. So yeah, this is this is just really, I suppose, that has led to uh, to today really with the launch of of the book. I'm very excited about this book. And so this is Braille on display, and and you took it upon yourself to kind of do a review of most of the technologies. How did you get started with such a project? Because it is quite a big thing to take on. Well, I I thought about it quite a while for quite a while, and then I saw um, your your um, advertisement, if you like, looking for authors, and and I thought you know, this would be really good. I'd love to do something with Braille because there are an awful lot of Braille displays and note takers out there, more than you would imagine. And I thought it'd be good to have them all under one umbrella to actually compare them so that people can do window shopping. You know, I've been asked many times, what kind of display do you think I should go for? And I sat and I I sort of thought about all the different reasons why people would want to go for a display and and then, you know, the the kind of thinking about their budget, um, how many cells they wanted, what they were going to be using it for, all those kind of things. And I just started to to just put something together. It was all in my head and I had to come and write it down. And I started to do it. And before I realised it was, wow, I thought, wow, this this is coming along quite a treat here. (laughs) <laughs> for a technology whose demise has been repeatedly predicted, it's a pretty vibrant market out there, isn't it? It is, especially this year, because, you know, we've seen um, the emergence of Braille Note Touch. Um, we've seen the Orbit Reader. Well, it's it's not quite out yet, but it, it is sort of imminent, the, the Orbit Reader, which is a lower cost uh, display. So we, we, we are seeing um, some really interesting uh, projects you know, out there now. What's your assessment of the note taker space today? I, I note in reading your book that you are quite critical. And this is one of the interesting things about your book. I think it's quite brave because whenever you stick your neck out and you give opinions about stuff, you know, you can potentially ruffle feathers, but you haven't been hesitant in not only summarizing in a factual way what these devices do, but you give your take on on them as well and what you think is worthwhile and what isn't. But the note-taker world has really suffered from a lack of adoption of new platforms, right? And you've lamented repeatedly in the book the fact that there are still devices out there running Windows CE and a really decrepit version of the Internet Explorer engine. Yeah, um, because I've used one. Well, I, st- I actually still have one. I still have a Hims U2 and I do use it for certain things. Um, I, I like it for word processing. I like it for even sending tweets or even using Facebook in its simplistic form. But what I don't like about it is the, the Internet browser on it. It's like an old Internet Explorer version 6. Um, and it, it, it is frustrating when you want to 
to to jump on on the internet and and use it. So because I use Windows and have a laptop and a braille display and also have a hymns uh, note taker, I'm able to say both sides you know, to see both sides of the argument, if you like, that the the advantages and disadvantages. For me, if you want something that's that has is an all in one device, but but you're not going to expect too much from it, then maybe a note taker is is for you. But if you're if you're wanting more of a challenge and you want to be as mainstream as possible, then I think that the road to go down is and certainly from a from a budget perspective as well, is to get a mainstream uh, laptop or computer and buy a portable Braille display that you can pair using Bluetooth. Hopefully you don't read my blog too often because I'd like to think you have a life. But some time ago <laughs> I wrote a post about this concept that some people advance in the blind community, this concept of the, quote, blind ghetto products, unquote, which... I personally find a terribly offensive term because and, and I think it's I think it's erroneous because we are a market and we do have distinct needs and I don't think that uh, we're, we're any more of a ghetto if there are specific products that cater to our needs than any other niche market that has very specific needs. But I'm wondering really why anyone would need now a note taker type device when you look at, what JAWS in particular can do with Braille. You talked about typing into Microsoft Word. What's been done in the last few years with Braille and JAWS and Word is actually really remarkable. You can bring up a Word document and start Brailing into it if you've got a Braille device that has Braille input. And you can backspace. So if you if you write the word the and then you backspace, you actually backspace right over the T-H-E contraction, which is something that Apple and a number of other vendors, in fact, cannot do. You'd have to backspace three times, even if you'd written the the contraction to erase it. So when you're working with JAWS and Word with a good Braille display, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a freedom one either, um, it's like you were working in a document that was written natively in grade two. And I'm wondering, with that kind of support now, Where's really the advantage in locking yourself into a very expensive proprietary device that's so easily obsolete? I think I I agree with you. I've 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 come round to that to that um, scenario as well, and and I do agree um, that if you know, as you say, with something like the Focus Blue. Um, you can write grade two in Word and, you, you know, with JAWS and, you know, it's it's great. But I, I think the reason why some people still hang on to the older devices is because they just want one unit. They just want one machine um, to carry around with them that they feel does everything. But, of course, it doesn't do everything because, you know, if you if you think about, you know, where we are with Mozilla Firefox and Chrome and Internet Explorer, you know, there are three uh, browsers right off the top of my head that that people use. Um, and, and on on these specialist note takers, you can really only use, you know, what what's pro- what's provided on the proprietary software. And it, it just isn't enough anymore. I just don't think that for the money and and that's that's the big problem for me is that 
they are so expensive and there isn't a lot of room for maneuver you know there isn't there isn't going to be a lot of upgrading because where can they upgrade to they're they're, they're mainly running on windows ce well certainly the the hymns uh, products are uh, the braille note touch is is running on um google it's it's running on on android 4.4.2 i think and it's well i don't think because of the the age of the technology in the braille note touch that it can cope with it at all um so that's why i i feel that if you can you're better going down the windows route with or or, or the mac route with a you know a braille display that's that's attached paired under bluetooth uh, but but especially windows it seems there's probably a good market for companies like executive products to come out with really nice attractive cases that kind of lock in a braille display in various popular laptop models into one nice unit so you just can't pull the screen off some of these laptops um and, and <laughs> then you then you'd be pretty sweet wouldn't you because it, it is still bluetooth can be quite fiddly in some situations i think yes it can and and you know i suppose that is the argument that uh an all-in-one device people that use those will level at you and say, uh, well, you know, I don't have to mess about with Bluetooth. You know, it's all there. I can just pick it up and, and walk. And, and that's that's fair enough. Um, I, I For my own needs and probably for yours, Jonathan, I, I just think we've gone way past that now. And, and it's just, you know, I like... When I'm working, I like to have Outlook open. I like to have Word open. I like to have an internet browser open. Um, and and very often you can't have more than one, say, word processor document open on these machines as well. You know, it would just cripple the machine. It would just fall over. And if you're copying and pasting and you're doing different things, you're doing some research and you want to copy and paste, it's it's just impossible to, to work with a situation like that. So for me, you know, to have a good laptop, and I've just invested in a Dell XPS 13 um, and a Focus Blue 40, um, you know, for me, that is my kind of dream kit at the moment. That's my That's my ideal package. How are you getting on with the Dell? Because especially when I was involved with humanware and connecting a lot of Braille Note devices to uh, laptops, we had a very hard time with Dell in those days. They seemed to be doing some proprietary hardware things. I was talking to Bonnie about this the other day because she's had a job in various state rehabilitation agencies in the United States over the years. And she made the same observation that there seems to be this sort of issue that Dell has had over the years with assistive technology and some of the proprietary things they do. And of course, I think everything's a lot more generic these days than it used to be. And sometimes it's unfortunate that a product gets a reputation for something that they fixed long ago, and yet people still have a memory of it. So I'd be interested to know how that Dell is working out for you. Well, so far, so good. The The one issue I did have with it, uh, and it is still early days, I've only had it, you know, a couple of weeks, three weeks. And um, the one issue that I do have is when I want to plug um, headphones in, um, it's got this bizarre sort of software that comes up um but it, it it doesn't really work very well with the screen reader so the way i have to get to it uh to choose what i want that particular port to do when i plug in headphones is i have to go into the running applications window uh, in jaws um at insert f10 
And then I see this particular software, Max Audio Pro, I think it's called. Um, it's it's not the most friendly software, but I've worked out how I can actually get um, my headphones going through it now. Um, it wasn't great to begin with, and I thought, oh dear, oh dear, what have I done here? But now I've managed to I've managed to get round it now, and it, and it is a really nice little keyboard on the on the unit as well, and it's very fast because it's an i7 processor. Um, and I have 16 gig of RAM on it, and it's got an SSD drive, so I'm I'm really happy with it now. But yeah, I I, I was warned about the some of the the Dell um, idiosyncrasies, if you like. It's funny the way the brain works too, because if you have a couple of problems with a new computer, you know, and you're trying to bed it in, you're installing all your software, and you just want yeah. to get it up and running, and you get grumpy, and then something like that happens you start to doubt the whole computer and then you do something wrong with it. You know, you push a wrong key or you do something wrong and you blame the computer because you're absolutely certain that it's a piece of junk. <laughs> and you hopefully yeah. eventually get past that stage. Um, I had a similar thing. As you know, I've upgraded to a new Toshiba device, which I just feel like a massive weight has been lifted off me. I'm just sure. loving it. And um, but but the first time I connected this cable that I have that connects my hearing aids to devices like my mixer and my laptop, um, it came up and it decided that it was a microphone headset combo, and so oh. it muted the built-in mic of my laptop, which I did not want at all because I, I couldn't make Skype calls and stuff like that. In my case, um, I found that I could actually – I don't know if I could do it again – but by um, Googling it and finding that it was possible, I somehow did a fluky thing and told it, always assume that it's a headset only whenever I plug anything into the jack. And now I don't get prompted anymore. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah, there, there are these little quirky things that, that crop up. And you're, and you're right, because you do start to sort of, you know, doubt. <laughs> and you think, oh, my goodness, what have I done? You know, this thing has cost me an arm and a leg, you know. <laughs> uh, but but uh, but I'm kind of I've kind of got there now and I've I've you know I'm really quite pleased with it. What I want to do with it, you know, I'm I'm really I'm really pleased and if you know if I go away anywhere, if I travel over to to Scotland cuz my son lives over there and um if I if I go over there to see him, um then obviously it'll be my my tool when I go. So, yeah, it's it's great. Yes, my my particular excitement at the moment is the built-in LTE that this machine has and so <laughs> I can be in the back of a cab you know I can I can uh, I'm flying at the moment going to a meeting and I can just get the laptop out and do serious high-end work you know with Outlook and, and processing work-related things without any kind of mobile compromises because it's a full PC and the LTE just works and the speed's phenomenal I was actually I did I don't know if you know about fast.com which is this service that Netflix have introduced where you just go to fast.com and right there at the top of this page, it shows you a speed test between you and the closest Netflix server. And it's 100% oh. accessible and it's a quite cool way to check the uh, speed of your internet connection. So I went to fast.com when I was cruising around in the back of a cab the other day with my new Toshiba <laughs> laptop and I was getting like 84 megabits down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wow. cool in the back of a cab on a laptop. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm thrilled. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of over these note-taker devices. The, the one thing that I would be potentially persuaded about 
is a note-taker device that runs full Windows, so I don't have to deal with any compromises that I can run any Windows applications. You know, we know that L Braille is, is still coming. Um, you do talk about a couple of these sorts of devices in your book as well that are out right now. I think Euro Braille is doing one and a company I actually hadn't heard of before until I read your book, Inside One has just launched one. Yes, they have. Now, this is quite an interesting piece of uh, kit because it's it's very nice. It has that lovely uh, sort of metallic kind of brushed aluminium kind of feel like, you know, like you're getting a really expensive piece of kit in your hands when you hold it. It's about the size of an A4 sheet of paper. It has Gorilla Glass um, on, the, on the tablet and um, it also has kind of the the braille keyboard you can feel the keys because they're kind of they're concave you know your fingers go into them um but they there aren't they're not actual keys you know they're just molded into the glass and you've got areas around it where you can swipe with your fingers they've got designated areas where you can swipe so you can do windows gestures and it has its own suite of applications as well as windows so if you're not um, au fait with Windows or you don't feel quite as comfortable, then you can use this native suite of applications called Home. Um, they are a little bit, in my opinion, basic, but but it, it is a new device and, and it was an early version that I, I saw. So I'm quite prepared to accept that, you know, that, that has still some way to go. It has a an internet browser of its own and, and a notepad and, and stuff like that that you can use. But it, it is a nice system. It's Windows 10. Um, it has four gig of RAM on the machine I saw. Um, and it, it just, it, yeah, it, it allows you to connect a, a USB keyboard or a Bluetooth device to it if you want to. Um, so it, it does, you know, it, it does have quite good possibilities, I would say. You and I, I do want people to buy the book, so I don't want to share all the secrets. But it was interesting to me that you were very excited about the Braille Note Touch because you thought that this is the way forward a, a note taker with the, the the very mature Keysoft suite that it's sort of been ported to Android, which is a, a going concern, unlike Windows CE. But you gave up on the Braille Note Touch. I did, yeah. I I was excited about it when I first saw it, and I got uh, uh, obviously a thirty day trial, and I thought, you know, this would be ideal just in a portable sense for me to go when I'm when I'm going places. You know, I have the one device in my bag that's fairly modern, and it would enable me. It has a nice keyboard. It also, if you lift the lid, it has the glass tablet underneath, so you can use you can write on the braille gla- on the braille keyboard or on the glass of the tablet if you want to. Um, and I thought this was really quite good. But Jonathan, when you when you start going deeper and you start uh, really um, going into Android, downloading apps from the the Play Store, and actually using it, um, it, it then becomes quite obvious that for me it, it lacks in so many ways. And um, it it for me was an awful lot of money for just very little. Well, right. I mean, you've got Keysoft there, which has been around for 20 years now. In fact, we must be up to the, no, 30 years. We're up to the 30th anniversary of Keysoft. I think this year, 1986, it it came out. So it's been ported to different platforms over time, but the user interface is very mature. 
But then when you get beyond that, there's got to be a screen reader involved in working with apps. Did they write their own screen reader or are they using a kind of a variant of talkback or what's going on once you get to that Android app level? Well, uh, it, they say that they've written Keysoft from the ground up and that um, they're using their, their acapella, humanware acapella, to, uh, you know, one of the, the voices to, to work within Android. Um, but when I was going into the Play Store, you can do first letter navigation, but I was finding that it fell over very, very easily. And uh, they recently came out with an update for, for the Braille Note Touch, whereby you could use it as a terminal for a screen reader. Um, you could pair it with your iPhone, but come what may, I just could not pair it at all with my iPhone. I have an iPhone 6. Uh, I was running the latest version of iOS, and it just would not pair at all. And the KNFB Reader collaboration that HumanWare had entered into, um, I I just found that it crashed nearly every time I I loaded KNFB Reader on it. So, and I I didn't find it particularly easy to take pictures with it anyway because it's quite heavy the Braille Note Touch, um, especially if it's in the case. So uh, I just for all sorts of reasons I just felt like this was going a step backwards almost not forwards for for what they were asking and and it's you know i must i must add uh that if it if it works for some people then that's fine um i have no problem with that but but for me and what i needed to do i just i couldn't open more than one word processor at a time i didn't I, I didn't mind the internet on it. it was better than than Windows CE but I I still felt that it lacked and the battery usage well it it just drained the battery if I went to bed and it was on say ninety three percent I would think well I I won't need to charge that overnight when I came down at maybe quarter to seven in the morning um it was dead and oh, really? I wow. just found that really quite disconcerting. And I thought, you know, that this means that whatever happens, I'm going to have to keep this on charge overnight. I was told to turn off Wi-Fi, to turn off Bluetooth, to turn off the the the, the uh, visual screen. I turned everything off except Wi-Fi, but um, it, it still was really dead as a post in the morning. And I thought, no, this is just... For me, anyway, for, for my particular needs, it just doesn't meet them. So, sadly, I, I returned it. I imagine that some of those kinks will be ironed out in various software revisions and, and, and maybe under the hood sort of um, firmware revisions of, of what's going on there. But, yeah, in terms of taking photos with tablets, of course, iPad users have the same dilemma and, and Android tablet users, it, it amazes me what people will do to get a picture of things, you know, picking yeah. up these dirty great tablets and and trying to take a selfie or, um, or trying to take a picture of something. It's quite interesting. The concept is good. I mean, uh, the, the idea that we live in an age where we can now get instant translation. And, of course, the, the uh, KNFB reader on that particular device is, is only one solution. You can do it with a KNFB reader on an iPhone or an Android device that has a Braille display attached, of course, just take a picture and get instant Braille. Uh, I was recently traveling with Bonnie right across the United States and repeatedly I would do tricks like take a picture from some distance back of the evacuation information that's often on the back of a hotel room door and I'd have my Braille display connected and instantly be able to read it back or take a picture of uh, the hotel 
room service menu and things, I travel with a thing called a foppy do, which <laughs> is one of <laughs> a number of of similar devices, and it's where it has a it's a kind of a stand, and you put your iPhone in the top, you sort of clip your document that you want to take a picture of in just the right place and you take a a picture and it's almost word perfect every time. So we've come a long way. And when you can do that instant translation from print to braille with any device, it's it's pretty compelling. Absolutely is. And and what works for the person, Jonathan, that's the most important thing. And and to be fair, I did sort of stress this. You have to do what works for you. I was very concerned at the money uh, f- for the the braille note touch what it was what it was ultimately going to offer me uh, compared to uh, a portable you know laptop an ultra book with a, a separate braille display and i just figured that for i i got a really good deal on both those two items and still had change um, from the money that I, I I had for my the Braille Note Touch, so it, it it's what works for you is the most important thing. Yeah, and the thing is that with a good Braille display, hopefully it will last you a very long time. Um, and I'm personally, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm not attracted at all to the idea that a Braille display has to have these functions like a note taker and an alarm and stuff like that. Um, I don't care if my Braille display is absolutely dumb, provided it has USB and Bluetooth and that it pairs reliably. I've seen so many Braille displays. And actually, um, you didn't touch on this. I was intrigued by this. But I, I, I've seen so many Braille displays where you can turn an iPhone off, you know, or the screen locks automatically. And then you unlock the screen of your iPhone and somehow the pairing between Braille displays and the iPhone has been lost or interrupted. Um, This is one area where I really am happy with the focus displays because I've never seen it do it, but I've seen a number of other Braille displays do it on a regular basis. So I don't care if my Braille display personally is absolutely dumb. If I want an alarm clock or note taker functions, I get those from the device that I'm pairing it with. And if I've bought a really good quality Braille display with cells that are well-made and robust and, you know, I get it serviced from time to time, that might last me a very long time, during which time I may have updated my laptop and my smartphone several times. And that's something that you can't do with one of these note-taker devices. Absolutely. And I I do take the point. I, I noticed it when I was testing out and evaluating some of these uh, Braille displays. Um, I thought, now, is it me? Is it is it something, you know, when I when I, the screen went off on my phone and then I pressed the button again and, and unlocked it, um, I'd lost pairing on some of them. Um, and some of them did it and some of them didn't. So I didn't know if it was the, the display itself or whether it was my phone. Um, and yeah, that that is you know that is an interesting one, and I agree that that they will outlast any of these other devices. If you look after your braille display, um, then it should look after you for you know a long time. And keep me in the manner to which I've become accustomed. That'd be a nice <laughs> thing. <laughs> so tell me about the process. Did you contact a whole bunch of braille display manufacturers and say, "Hey, I'm writing this guide. Can I have one to borrow?" I did. Yeah, basically. And most people were very, um, you know, very obliging, very helpful. 
um, sight and sound, obviously, because of my connection with them. They were, yeah, we'll send you one over. They were, they were very helpful. And, and other companies were as well. So, um, most, most companies did actually, um, say yes, they would, they would be very happy. Um, you know, and, and that's how I did it. I, I worked my way through them over a course of months. I'd write all my notes up while I had it. I'd keep it for a, a couple of weeks, depending on how quickly, you know, they wanted it back. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I would start sort of feeding in that, that particular chapter in, into the book. And, and that's how I, how I got it completed. And you made it clear to them that there was no guarantee you were going to give it a glowing review that you were going to sort of tell it how it was for you and be. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. I I said I wanted to, to put my own perspective and, and that, and I, and I'd, I'd like to think I was trying to be honest without being unkind um, in, in the book. You know, I, I sort of said it how it was for me. But uh, as I've said, it's, it is very subjective. You know, another person might, might say, well, actually, I don't agree with a word she says in that book. I find this, that and the other about these various plays. <laughs> and, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Now, for our US listeners and readers, um, the one thing that isn't there, and I know that you tried, is the um, the B2G, the Braille to Go note taker, which is also Android based as the Braille Note touches. Yeah, yeah. I I, I contacted um, the company concerned, and I was told that they couldn't they couldn't lend me one. They couldn't send it. It was only available in, in North America at the time, and uh, that they they just couldn't accommodate me. So, I'm really sorry that the B2G uh, wasn't included, but um, maybe maybe when they see the book or somebody reads it, they might think, well, hang on, uh, for the next, you know, because I, I hope to keep it going. Um, I hope that when there are new devices that I can I can add chapters to it and, and um, you know, revise it. So, it, you know, there's always room for, for, for more in it. Yes. So we've labelled this the 2017 Buyer's Guide, given that it's coming up right at the end of December and uh, we expect it to be current. So depending on demand, I guess, and user feedback, this may be something that you'll be able to update, say, on an annual basis and people will be able to buy this guide each year and keep current with um, the state of the market. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'd, I'd love to do with it. That's that's certainly my intention. You know, if um, if we if we get um, more devices, and I and I've, there's no reason to think we won't. Um, if, if we get more devices out there, then I certainly want to include them, and and it would be great. You know, um, if if somebody came to me and said, "Well, please, could you include the B B two G if uh, we send you one?" Certainly, I will. You have, I don't know if this is an American expression or not, but I know I'm sure the English use it too. You have a bit of a bee in your bonnet about replaceable batteries, I noticed. And uh, <laughs> when I when I read the book, I thought, what is up with this? I mean, nothing has replaceable battery. You know, my iPhone doesn't have it. My Android phone doesn't have it. My laptop doesn't have it. What do you want a replaceable battery in your brow display for? Um, the only reason that I, I felt that it was important to highlight it for each display was because if you have to send it back, it it depends on the turnaround. It depends on the after sale support of, of the, of the company concerned. And and if you are in employment or you rely on your braille device, you know, quite a lot, then, you know, it, it could, it could be the turnaround could be quite, you know, in some instances could be quite slow. 
um to have to have it you know returned and and i just felt that you know it was it was important in the grand scheme of things you know everything as you say that has a battery at some point is going to have to replace it but i i did feel that it was that it was important to say that this is not you know because some people have said to me oh has that braille display got a user replaceable battery and i go no and they went oh um well that's a that's a bit of a minus you know, mm. and I sort of felt that I I really needed to to, and that's why we 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 have a nice table at the at the end of of, of the book in one of the appendices, um, where you know we we put all the the sort of features so you can make a comparison quite quickly with you know this um, you know the auto scroll or the replaceable user replaceable battery the the amount of braille cells the you know uh, all those kind of things uh, you know. Is yeah. included in the table. It's really I mean, there's, useful. There's so much in the book, but I think it's worth it even for that alone, just being able to see everything in the one place in an easily navigable table. Um, but you make a very good point about servicing because these devices are critical for people on the job. I know there are certain times where when I have to read scripts and that sort of thing, if I didn't have my braille display, I would be really kaput. And so yeah. we, we do have to think about this. And I know that there are situations where uh, it's easy for someone to sell you a braille display. Anybody will do that. But I think people have to dig a bit deeper and say, well, if I buy this braille display from you and something goes wrong, do you service it or are you going to send it away to the other side of the world to get serviced? Yeah. And how available are the braille cells for this thing as a whole? Because there's a lot of moving parts in a braille display. Yeah, it's very important to my advice to anybody who's window shopping and looking at perhaps uh, purchasing a Braille display, particularly for the first time. I think it's really important to get some hands on. So I always advise anybody to contact as many companies as possible, find out what they can sell you that obviously the price you've got a budget. Um, so find out you know, all the things that you can about it and try to have some hands on. If possible, some companies will loan you one for a few days at least to to let you, you know, get a feel. Um, it's There's not much point, in my opinion, going to a convention or a place uh, like an exhibition where you're only going to get hands on for 10 minutes at a, at a table and then, you know, somebody standing behind you, there's a big queue and people want to see it. That's not really going to give you um, the benefit of of what the display can do. So uh, try to get you know as much information about the company, the servicing, after sales support. Um, as you say, is the display serviced by the company, or is it going to have to go back to the manufacturer? And it could be you know in South Korea, or you know it. it you know it's all time, um, and time is money for people. And if you're if you're without your braille display for a month, as I've been before. Um, then, you know, it starts to get rather frustrating. So they're all the sort of things that the book advises as well. Was there one particular device that you got on loan as part of this writing process that was deeply traumatising and upsetting for you to part with? Yes, a handy tech braille display for me would always be. Yeah, you quite do. You do seem to have a thing for those ones. Yes, I, I, I really love um, handy tech displays. I, I just think they're well made. The braille is very nice, very comfortable. That they have concave braille cells. You know that they're just. They are to me. It must be like 
a sighted person driving a, a Rolls Royce or something really top of the range, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 if I had a dream, it would be to have a hand-detect Braille display. Oh, it's a different ma- <laughs> it's a different market in sort of mainland Europe, isn't it? Because some of the uh, the kids in school there, for example, will have a braille display at home and a braille display at school. And uh, you know, there are there are people who are in work who have one at home and one at work as well. They they tend to be much more pro braille than the US or the UK or New Zealand. Yes, they do. Um, it's kind of interesting, but you're you're right. You know, they they would maybe have two, as you say, one at school, one at home. Um, you know, very nice if you can if you can get it. But yeah, um, yeah. what one handy tech handy tech would would be, or I would be ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> very good. So this is called Braille on Display and it's available in the Mosin Consulting Store at mosin.org and you can actually go straight there. You can go to mosin.org slash braille on display, all one word, and have a little look at the blurb and purchase it for 35 US dollars and download it instantly. Uh, and it's been really fun working with you on this project and um, I, I, I hope that people find it a useful guide. I'm sure they will because there's a lot of great information in there and I think you're your passion and commitment uh, to Braille really shines through in the book. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed um, doing the, you know, all the research, evaluating everything, but I've also really enjoyed working with yourself on this. And I just would like to, you know, take the opportunity to say thank you, Jonathan, because it's, it's, it's always been a dream of mine. I love writing. I'm very passionate about writing and very passionate about Braille. So it's something that I've been able to throw myself into and absolutely love. And to have this at the end of it, to have a book, something to show for that work and somebody who has, you know, taken the time to, you know, invest their time in, in helping me achieve this is, you know, I'm, I'm so thrilled. I, I cannot stop smiling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's absolutely my pleasure. And, you know, there is something pretty special about being a published author, isn't it? I mean, you know, to, to, to see your name on a book and people buying the book and just seeing it out there and mentioned, it's, um, it, it's a wonderful thing because it's taken months and months of planning and suddenly it's over and it's out there and people are using it and reading it. And, and that is incredibly special. It is, and and yeah, it 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 really is. It and when you've when you've wanted to do it for so long, as I have for a large part of my life, I've always wanted to write a book. But I've I've wanted to do something that's been meaningful, um, and and I feel that this is. So I I hope that whoever buys the book will will find some use um, in its contents, and um, I will rest assured be going back to it and updating it as and as and when I can. And we'll be back here on the podcast talking about it. So lovely to talk with you, Jackie. Thanks so much. And you. Thank you, Jonathan. Hope you enjoy Braille on Display. If you pick it up, it's a really good read. And we'll see you next week for the final Blind Side of 2016. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.